We have come to the very end of these 176 verses, this wonderful portion of scripture that some call the great book. The 176 verses of Psalm 119, as many of you know, is divided into 22 stanzas of eight verses each. And the writer, we don't know who he is, at least I don't know who he is, uh, the writer of these verses deliberately and conscientiously made sure to devote each of these 22 stanzas to a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so what he has done is to make sure that the first letter of the first word of each of the eight verses in the stanza is committed to a particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's how he designed these 176 verses. We call it an acrostic. Some have called it the golden alphabet are the ABCs of scripture. The psalmist clearly pays tribute to God's word, and he uses eight different terms for the word of God. Instead of just simply saying Bible, 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 he has his own different terms. And in fact, when you look at verses 57 through 64, in each one of those verses, you find one of the synonyms for God's word. And so in verse 57, he refers to God's word as words. And then he uses another term, word, in verse 58. And then testimonies, commandments, law, ordinances, precepts, and statutes. One term just won't do it for him. He, he views God's word through different lenses. And it lets us know that this man is paying tribute to God's word. And as we go, as we went through this psalm, it's clear that he's talking to God. He's directing his words to God. And he says over and over again, O Lord. As we come to the last stanza, basically nothing new is being said. It really serves as a conclusion, wrapping up all that he said in the previous 168 verses. What we learn in this stanza is that the psalmist was a man who was clinging to God and clinging to God's word. That's how he lived his life. No matter if he was on the mountaintop or down in the valley of the shadow of death, he was committed to clinging to God and also clinging to God's word. And so as we come to this last stanza, we'll see him and hear him rehearsing a number of things that he has said previously. But the thing that we need to see, the thing that we need to grab hold of, is that he is basically telling every child of God, cling to God and cling to God's word. That is, hold on to God and hold on to his word. But what does that mean? What does it mean to cling to God and to his word? I mean, does that literally mean I need to go find God and wrap my arms around him and never let him go? Does that mean I need to take my copy of God's word and cling to it 
Everywhere I go? Well, the psalmist tells us in these eight verses what it means to cling to the word of God. How to do that. Not just to affirm it, but how to cling to the word of God. Well, that ain't going to work. There we go. So, cling to God's word and cling to God. How do we do that? First of all, by crying out to God in prayer. The greatest way we can express the fact that we are holding on to God and clinging to God is in our prayer life. Our prayer life expresses our dependency upon God. And what we find in the first two verses, verses 169 and verse 170, is that the psalmist is praying to his God. He clings to God by crying out to God in prayer. The the word that he uses in verse 169 is cry. It could mean a term of jubilation, or it could be a term of sadness, so to speak. But in this context, it's a term of prayer. He is ringing out his voice to God. And he's saying, God, I want you to let my cry come before you. His wish, his desire, is that when he prays to his God, is that God's prayer will go higher than the ceiling. That God's prayer will go higher than the sky. That, God, that his prayer to God will go immediately into the very presence of God. He says, God, let my cry come before your face. And that lets us know that prayer is to be real and genuine. That we're not just to go through the motions. We're not just to take the box and check it off and say that I prayed. No, the psalmist is saying that he wants his prayer to go into the very, very presence of God. God, I want you to pay attention to my prayer. I want you to accept my prayer. And what does he pray? He prays, give me understanding according to thy word. He wants wisdom. He wants insight. He wants discernment. And this doesn't shock us. Because throughout this psalm, he has prayed this. On several occasions, he has said to his God, give me understanding. Make me understand. And he's saying, God, when it comes to your word, I need you to work on me. I need you to work in me. I need you to give me the wisdom and the insight. And the skillful living that I need that comes from your word. He understands that just knowing information is not enough. He's saying, God, I need you to work in me so that I know how to apply the information. That I have the skill, the ability to use the information in various circumstances. 
There are people who know the word, but don't know how to use the word. Do not get confused that knowledge of the word is the same as skillful living of the word. It's not. You can know scripture, but not have understanding of scripture. And what the psalmist wants, he wants God to give him understanding, to give him insight, to give him wisdom, to give him discernment. He understands that the way that a person gets understanding is from the word, the unfolding of the word as what it was pointed out in verse 130. The unfolding of thy word, God, gives light. It gives understanding. The nature of the psalmist's prayer is not just simply a cry, but almost in a parallel statement in verse 170, he compares it to supplication. When he talks about prayer as supplication, he's indicating that he has a need. That there are things going on in his life, his situation, that has produced a need. A need that he feels that he needs to take it to God. And so when he talks about, let my supplication come before you, saying, God, let my request for grace, my request for favor, may that also find its way into your very presence. This man is not interested in just praying for the sake of praying. He's interested in his prayers being heard by God, and he wants God to answer his prayers. So, so God, let my supplication, my need for grace and favor, let my supplication come into your very presence. May it come right before your face, God. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, we looked at that in verse 16, that we are to come boldly to the throne of grace. And in essence, that's what the psalmist is saying. God, I'm coming before you, your very presence, and I want you to hear my cry for understanding. And I want you to respond to my supplication. My need for grace and the substance of his supplication is deliver me according to thy word. God, I need you to give me understanding, but I'm in a tough, tough situation. I'm in a situation that's got me bound. It's almost as if I'm in prison. My situation has imprisoned me. And so, God, I'm crying out to you. I I want my request to come before you. I want you to act. I want you to move. I want you to deliver me. It could be translated, I want you to save me, but he's a saved man. He wants to be rescued. He wants to be delivered. He does not want to stay in the circumstances that he's in. And so he cries out to God. Our prayer life should demonstrate that we are dependent 
upon God. If we don't pray very often, that means we don't depend upon God very often. A person cannot say as a child of God, I'm dependent upon God, and yet they don't cry out to God. They don't bring their needs for grace and mercy and favor to God. The the way we cling to God in his word is that we cry out to God in prayer. Cling to God in his word. How? By worshiping God in praise. When we come to the next two verses, verses 171 and 172, the psalmist declares that he treasures and values God. And he proclaims that God is at the center of his worship. He moves from petitions to, to praise. He, he moves from crying out to God and making supplication to God to now singing about the word of God and, and letting his lips utter praise about God. These two verses are all about praise. They're all about worship. They're all about adoration. They're all about thanksgiving. And as this man wraps up this long song, he he wants us to realize that he is committed to worshiping God in praise. That's where he's at. And this is not the first time he's mentioned praise. Remember a couple of stanzas ago in verse 164, he made the declaration that seven times a day, I praise you, God, because of your word. Is he talking literally? I don't know. But he is saying continually and frequently, God, I am praising you. And the reason why I'm praising you is because of your word. And so now when he comes to these two verses, he speaks of his lips and he speaks of his tongue. And he wants his lips to be a vehicle of praise to God. And he wants his tongue to be a vehicle of praise to God. And and so his desire, his wish, his want that he brings before God. He says, God, let my lips utter praise. Let my lips utter praise. And, And that word utter is really a rich word. That, that you can't really capture by the term utter. It means really to gush forth. It was used of a stream of water. When my wife and I, a few years ago, spent some time in Jamaica. And there in Jamaica, we traveled down or traveled up Dunn's. River Falls. If you've ever been there, uh, if you're down at the bottom, the, the water is streaming down. And you can have the opportunity of walking all the way up with other people to the top of the river. Quite a journey, 
uh, particularly for people who were in our age group. But we made it. And the water, you just hear the water streaming down. And then once you got to the top, they were willing to take a picture of you under a waterfall. So I was foolish enough to do that. So I put myself under the the water coming gushing down on me. And I have a picture of that. used to have it on Facebook. But uh, what the psalmist is saying, he wants his praise to be gushing down on God. He wants words of adoration and thanksgiving to be streaming down upon his God. He is committed to praise God. He wants praise to be gushing from his lips to give God the adoration and the thanksgiving that he so rightfully deserves. And the reason why Some of us can't praise God because we don't take time to find the reason why. But the psalmist tells us why he praised God. He says, God, I want my lips to utter praise because thou dost teach me your statutes. Did you hear that? He's saying, God, the the reason why I want to praise you, the, the reason why I want to adore you and worship you with adoration and thanksgiving, it's because, God, you have been my personal instructor. You have taken this book that we call the Bible, and you have taught me. And maybe we can't resonate with that, but the psalmist can. Why? Because over ten different times, In this psalm, he cries out to God and says, God, teach me. He doesn't say, God, teach Israel. God, teach my friends. But over and over and over again, he knows that one of the best things that his God can do for him is for his God to teach him. So that every time he comes to this book, He's not relying upon a human being, but a divine being. He wants God to teach him, and God often does that through human beings. But he acknowledges that if God doesn't act, if God doesn't move, then he will not learn. And what he wants is to learn the word of God. And so every time we find this man in this he stands there. He's crying out, teach me. And that means for us that every time we have the opportunity to hear the word, to read the word, to study the word, to memorize the word, to meditate on the word, every time we ought to start off by saying, God, teach me. We, we should never, ever come to a worship service assuming that we're going to be taught. We should be crying out to God and saying, God, as I worship you in spirit and in truth, I'm pleading with you. My desire, my wish is that you will give me understanding, that you will teach me your word. And he says, because you have done that, God, because I've experienced that in my life, my my lips 
will gush forth in praise of you. And that's just one of the reasons why we should be praising God. There's so many others. We should be raising the rooftop when we sing songs. I'm serious. If we understood who we're praising, we should not just be standing in worship and we can barely open our mouths. Our mouths should be wide open and we should be praising God. We should be singing to God. Praise should be gushing forth from our mouths because of what God has done for us. Because of who he is. That should be our worship. But the psalmist goes on from talking about his lips to his tongue. He says in verse 172, let my tongue sing of thy word. God, I want praise to be gushing forth from my mouth, but but I also want praise to be coming forth from my tongue. I, I want to sing. Sing about what? Sing of what? Sing about your word. His word is so good to him. His word is so wonderful to him that he wants to sing about and of God's word. He wants to be Anita Baker. He wants to be Luther Vandross, the late Luther Vandross. He, he wants to take the microphone and sing. Even if he can't sing, he, he wants to sing because of God's word. He wants to sing about the word of God. And I praise God for the different songs that we sing here at Fairview, but we need to be singing sometime about the word of God. That's what the psalmist is saying. God, he says to his God, God, I want to sing of thy word. And again, he gives us the reason why. Why does he want to praise God with this tongue? He says it's because all your commandments, every single last one of them, all of them are righteous. They're right. They're upright. And whatever other term you want to use, as he looks at this Bible, at this book that we call the Bible, he said, your word is righteous. Your word is upright. Your word is true. And because of that, I want to sing. I want to sing of your word. I want my tongue to sing of your word. And so what we see in these two verses, that we cling to God by worshiping him in praise. We ought to employ our lips. We ought to employ our tongue. We ought to employ every part of our being in gushing forth praise to God. And there's just two reasons why he said here. Because God has taught him, and also because God's word is truth. So we are to cling to the word of God. 
And the psalmist is saying today, cling to God's word. How? Not by wrapping your arms around God or wrapping your arms around the word of God, but cling to God and his word by pleading with God for help. Pleading with God for help. A request to God for divine assistance. It's an admission. It's an admission that God can do what I can't do. We trust ourselves too much. We think there are things that we can do and and we can't do. We we try. We go through all of the hurt, no, jumping all the hurdles, etc. Do we finally just realize, God, I can't do this. We should have realized that at the beginning, that we needed divine assistance, that we needed help. But we think we can pull ourselves up our own bootstraps. We, we think we can make it on our own. And the psalmist was not like that. The psalmist understood that he needed the help of God, that he needed divine assistance. And so he cries out to God again, let thy hand help me. Let your hand, God, be ready and available to help me. He's no longer talking about his own personal lips or tongue, but now he's talking about God's hand. And I know you know that God doesn't have a hand. You do know that, right? God doesn't have a hand. He doesn't have hands. That's just a way for us to understand things about God. When the Bible talks about God's hand, it's talking about God's power. Earlier in this psalm, uh, he said in verse 73 that your hands, God, have made me and fashioned me. God, by your power, I came into existence. I'm not here because I evolved but, but, but God, I understand, your hands made me and shaped me and formed me and created me. It's your hands, it's your power. The, the very fact that you and I are alive, that we are human beings, is testimony to the power of God. May we never, ever think that somehow we just evolved and somehow this is the result of some kind of natural process. It is the result of The hand of God. And when individuals are born, it is the result of the hand of God. The power of God. And you can try and do all that you want, but God is in control. And so the psalmist says, God, my request, my wish, my prayer is that your hand would help me. I'm in need of assistance. I can't give myself understanding. I can't deliver myself from my circumstances. 
I don't even have the ability on my own to praise you like I should. So I'm coming to you, God, and saying, God, help me. And he gives some reasons why God should do that. That God, why God should be inclined to help him. And, and let me just fire those reasons off. First of all, he says, God help me because I've chosen thy precepts. That is, he's made a commitment to the word of God. This is a strong term. I've chosen, I've selected, I've picked for myself your word. To, to, to cherish your word, to love your word, to delight in your word, and to live your word. I've chosen your precepts. And then he says in verse 174, I long for thy salvation. I, I'm not taking matters into my own hand. I'm not doing this my way. I'm going to wait for you. I've cried out for your deliverance and I long for, I wait for your salvation. And then he goes on to say, God, your law, your law is my delight. It's my vanilla ice cream. I told you that. It's my barbecue ribs, Ed. You can send some my way. I'll delight over it. It's my sweet potato pie. Now, don't you all try to make me not. I'm okay on sweet potato pies. But, but, but it's my sweet potato pie. It's my delight. When things just ain't going the way that I want it to go, what do I do? Get some ice cream. Get some cake. Get some barbecue. Try to eat myself to happiness. The, the psalmist ate the word of God. He says, God, your law, your instructions, your teachings are my delight. That's what I turn to. And some of us in bad situations, we're down. We're discouraged. And complaining ain't going to change it. It's not going to change it. You, you better go to God. You better go to his word and get some delight, get some joy to sustain you during the difficult times of life. So those who cling to God and his word, plead with him. Plead with him in the various situations of life. We need to get off our high horse of independence and get down on our bended knee of dependence upon God. God, I need your help. I'm in this situation and I can't do anything about it. My hand is too puny. My hand is too weak. I need the powerful hand of you, God. Cling to God and to his word. How? The last way is by turning to God for spiritual renewal. Turn to God for spiritual renewal. Go to him for spiritual vitality, for spiritual rejuvenation. For spiritual zest. If you really want to live life to its fullest, go to God, the source of spiritual life. And that's what the psalmist did. He turned to God for life. He tells us in the first part of verse 
175, he says to God, and it's another request, it's another plea. He's dependent upon God, and he says, God, let my soul live. Let my soul be full of spiritual life so that it's overflowing and running over. Only you can do that, God. May this enter into your presence before your face, God. I need life. And you read those words where he says, let me live. And you might not recognize it, but I need to point it out. Those words are connected to those many, many times in this psalm where he prays to God, revive me. Revive me, God. In verse 25, he was clinging to the dust. That ain't no place for God's people to be. But it happens. Remember the the sermon title, when it ain't well with our soul. When we're clinging to the dust. What, What did the psalmist do? He said, God, revive me. Give me true life. Give me resiliency. Give me rejuvenation. Give me zest. I don't want to be clinging to the dust. I don't want to be groveling in the dirt. Revive me. And he prays that many times in this psalm. And what he's asking for, he's asking for life to its fullest. He doesn't just want to exist. He doesn't just want to go through the motion. He doesn't want to just simply live another day. He he believes that in Christ there's abundant life. And and that's his desire. That's his wish. That's his want. So he says, God, let my soul, my innermost being, all of me, let it live. Revive me. Make me live. And his goal is not to get out of his circumstances. His goal is not some other reason. His goal, he says, let my soul live. Why? That it may praise thee. There it is, again. Seven times a day I praise thee. Let my lips praise thee. Let my tongue sing of your word. Let my tongue praise you. And now, God, let my soul live because I want to praise you. I want to adore you. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. I don't want to be a Christian who's down and out. I want to be a Christian who's living in the spirit of God and by the spirit of God. I'm praising my God for who he is and for what he has done. He, He turned to God for life. He didn't turn to his therapist. He didn't turn to his closest friends. He didn't turn to the pastor of the church. He turned to God. Now God might use those other means, but ultimately he turned to God. And he said, God, you give me life. You make me live. You revive me, God. He turned to God for 
help from the word. In verse 175, at the end of it, he says, and let thine ordinances help me. He believed that the Bible was of assistance. He believed that the Bible helped individuals. Before there was ever a 2 Timothy 3.16, which says that all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, the psalmist believed God's word helps people. Before there was a Hebrews 4.12, that says that the word of God is living and effective and cutting and penetrating and discerning. The psalmist believe God's word works. God, I want you to help me, but, but I know the way you help me is through your word. So let thine ordinances help me. I need your word. And so you read these 176 verses. That's what he says over and over again. The word of God will help you to live a clean life. That the word of God will help you to not sin against God. That the word of God will help you as far as direction and guidance in your life. God's word is marvelous. It's wonderful. It's magnificent. And it will help the child of God. And the psalmist is saying over and over and over again, Cling to God and cling to his word. His word will help you, my friends. His word will do for you what no one else or no other thing can do. God uses his word in the lives of his people. And the psalmist testifies to that. And so when we come to the last verse, we see the psalmist turn to God when he had gone astray. I don't know about you, but I'm shocked by verse 176. I'm surprised by it. If I was writing this psalm, and I'm not, it it wouldn't end with these words. If I was writing it, the psalm would end with celebration not with confession. This man ends the psalm by confessing. He says to God, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. I can't handle that. You've been telling me all these wonderful things about the word, about your God. What the word will do. And you end up, after 175 verses, you end up by confessing that you have gone astray like a lost, dead sheep. That's your confession. You should be telling me, I'm clinging to the word. The word is transforming my life. I'm soaring through life. I'm I'm living life on the mountaintop. But he says, in humility, in honesty, I 
have gone astray. Earlier, he had said in verse 110 that the wicked had laid a snare for him, but he had not gone astray. So, so what is it, Psalmist? You've not gone astray? You've gone astray? No, is this a different period, time in your life? So there's a real tension here. And I just want to make sure that you understand that when you look at verse 176, don't ignore the last part of the verse. He says, yes, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. But he says, God, seek who? Seek thy servant. He's still God's servant. God is still his master. He's still cleaving to God. And in fact, he even goes on to say, for I do not forget thy commandments. He's cleaving to God. He's cleaving to the word. He doesn't ignore the Bible. He doesn't push it aside. So on the one hand, he's gone astray. On the other hand, he's God's servant. And he doesn't forget God's word. My friend, that's the tension that godly people live with in this world. Godly people face this tension. They can say, I'm your servant, God. I do not forget your commandments, God. But they also realize their humanness and their depravity that they aren't all that they should be. The the psalmist would tell you, no, I thank God. (laughs) I'm not what I used to be. But but I also recognize I'm not all that God would want me to be. And so when he says, I've gone astray, he's just recognizing that he does not live life perfectly. That he's still growing. He's still maturing. And, And so he seeks God for renewal. Seek Thy servant. He's expressing once again how he's dependent upon God. He's not trying to do this in his own strength, pulling up his own, uh, pulling himself up by his own bootstraps. He's not relying upon the fact that he is determined and that he is desirous of living for God. He understands, God, if you aren't active in my life, If you somehow take your hands off of me, he's an Old Testament saint, if you do that, I'm in trouble. So seek me, God. Pursue me. Chase me down. And and he will do that not just for Old Testament saints. He will do that for believers. There are times where we have gone astray. And yet we know that we are God's servant. We know that we're trying to live the way he wants us to live. But we keep looking at the word and and I don't love like I should. I don't pray like I should. I don't read the word like I should. So God, seek me. Help me. Chase me down because I cannot do it by myself. He wants God to renew him spiritually. So, what do I say to you? Cling to God and cling 
to his word. That's the message of this text. That's what the psalmist is trying to get across to us. And the way that we cling to God and his word is, first of all, by crying out to God in prayer. Secondly, by worshiping God in praise. And then thirdly, we do it by pleading with God for help. And then finally, by turning to God for spiritual renewal. Cling to God. Cling to his word. But if you're here today and you're without the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not saved, it is an utter impossibility for you to cling to God and to cling to his word. You must come to the cross and cling to the cross what Christ has done for you so that you can have eternal life. And once you have eternal life, the message of Psalm 119, all throughout the 176 verses, is cling to God and cling to his word. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious portion of scripture that some call the great book, the great psalm, this the alphabet of scripture, the ABCs. Father, there are many, many things that we can learn from this psalm. But even if we forget a lot of the details, please remind us, please help us not to forget that we are to cling to you and cling to your word. May that be our testimony as your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.